Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Hello, my name is Remy Boni. I am the executive director of Forbidden Corals, an organization doing advocacy work at the European Union level on LGBTQ rights all over Europe. I highly recommend listening to this podcast of Visegrad's Insights. Welcome. Uh, this is 22nd of November. Uh, my name is Wojciech Przybylski uh, and I'm in Vienna, uh, joined from London uh, by uh, Malik Bennett, um, also from our team at Visegrad Insight. Uh, and today we're going to discuss first our weekly outlook before we go uh, into, the, uh, into the second part of the podcast where we have a special interview um, with a guest from Belgium. So indeed, a truly transnational uh, format today. Um, Malik, uh, let's, uh, let's begin. What would be your first focal point? Let's do an overview of the important stuff this week. Well, thanks, thanks for having me, Wojtek. And actually, I'd, I'd like to reverse and ask you the question because you're in town in Vienna and coincidentally, the Belarus Democratic Opposition Leader Svetlana Tikhanovskaya is also in town for the conference uh, invited by the Austrian uh, Chancellor, Mr. Schallenburg. So any, any chance you might be meeting her tomorrow, Wojtek? Yes, indeed. I mean, that is, uh, as, as uh, you all know, who follow Visegrad Insight, an event that we have on the sidelines of uh, the uh, conference for Belarus, organized by Chancellor Schallenberg. Um, at the Institute of Human Sciences, we are joined, we are um, organizing a joint event with Sistan Tsikhanovska and uh, excellent discuss, uh, this, uh, debaters um, uh, who will, who will talk about uh, the future of Belarus in Europe. Um, this is happening as, well, me sitting in Vienna, there is a full lockdown. And just over the weekend, um, when I arrived in, in town, uh, there was a anti-vaxxers uh, demonstration, uh, all of that in the big news. Uh, and uh, now, despite all, the, all odds, um, the meetings with uh, the leader of the Democratic Belarus are taking place on Monday, and she's also going to uh, speak afterwards um, also with us. And you will be provided with a link later to, to uh, watch her address and the debate um, um, on our media. But uh, of course, that is something um, that everybody's eyes uh, should be on. It relates to the border crisis um, on the Belarusian-Polish border, there is also a text that we have released um, and I authored uh, on Friday. It went on in Hungarian and English. It's going to be published also in um, French and Italian very soon by our partners across Europe. It evaluates the dynamics, the political dynamics in Poland um, and the European policy and and also failures of it in the case of Polish government on, to, on addressing the border crisis. But speaking of the European politics uh, in Central Europe and the European policymaking, um, Malik, what else is uh, so interesting to follow this week from our weekly outlook? So, of course, on our radar is what happened last Friday, what would what can be called the informal step by Brussels, uh, whether to trigger the new rule of law conditionality mechanism against Poland and Hungary. So uh, on Friday, Brussels sent a letter to Polish and Hungarian ambassadors, which detailed a series of questions on possible breaches to the rule of law in Warsaw, 
and in regards to Budapest, their implications for the protection of EU money. Uh, and more related to the system of public procurement in Hungary and the independence of its courts as well. Yes, well, that is an that is an activity that I have to intervene here um, that can be read uh, in in two different ways. One, um, of course, uh, that is a new step and uh, a potentially. Uh, uh, another step in a, in a, on a conflict line between Hungary and Poland, but also it should be read that it is under the pressure of the European Parliament, like, um, threatening European Commission with legal um, we, legal steps uh, in front of the AGC. Uh, uh, should the Commission not um, go forward? But the real game and the real thing to observe in the coming days is whether the Commission will actually be transferring the first tranche of the. Uh, recovery resilience funds to Poland and to Hungary and should it do so then it would um, uh, at the same time send a message um, that it's uh, uh, it is actually uh, limiting the conflict uh, between political conflict that is ongoing um, over those funds so that's watch this space. That's definitely a highlight I want to run, underline. And what's that, what else? Well, again, on Poland, uh, another date to watch out for is the 24th of November, uh, because that is when the Polish Constitutional Tribunal um, will examine um, a motion filed by the Polish Prosecutor General, who wants to assess whether the provision of European Convention for the Protection of Human Rights uh, is inconsistent with the Polish constitution to the extent that it allows the ECHR to assess the legality of the election of um, the courts, the Polish courts and judges. So, um, any could you elaborate a bit more on that and what possibly could this mean in the um, legal battles with ECHR at Brussels again? Now, once once more, of course, we see how the uh, constitutional tribunal in Poland is being used as a political instrument. Whenever Poland wants to um, wants to say and have a some sort of a backing uh, in in the form of non meaningful paper um, from the constitutional court, when it wants to disregard a ruling of uh, of a court that. Um, um, that otherwise uh, should not be ignored because Poland has signed uh, treaties to to respect those uh, verdicts. The 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 the, the, the political uh, leaders of the current government use the tribunal to um, as an excuse of as a as a as a shield, um, a political shield of of little value. Nobody nobody considers um, this as a as a way to go forward, but definitely um, it is uh, adding to the political conflict that Poland wants to be at odds with the uh, uh, general uh, European standards of democracy. In this case, not European Union, but um, uh, European Court of Human Rights, a separate uh, body, which will um, definitely generate more controversy as we're heading for the summit for democracy uh, organized by Joe Biden and and last week also we debated that together with Benjamin Haddad, um, Iveta Radicova, Tom Garrett, uh, uh, Richard Youngs, and um, and Zuzana Papazowski um, that joined us for um, for a panel discussion that we organized during the Open Eyes Economy Summit. 
And while certain democracies uh, from Central Eastern Europe definitely use the opportunity to come together and uh, make even you know some steps towards global positioning because of that, there are also some like Poland that are they are flirting with the idea of really not uh, participating fully in such a summit. And some some like Hungary are not even invited. But more on that soon to be. Uh, um, soon to be published also online. Uh, so you can check our website by mid this week where you will read um, uh, takeaways and, and, and bigger, st- longer statements from the panelists of, of, of this discussion, which uh, give some highlight about strategies of how Central Europe could address um, the, the Summit for Democracy as an opportunity to, to strengthen their strategies in, in foreign policy and their standing in democratic security. Um, but that drove me away from Poland, and maybe that's good. Uh, Malik, what else is in uh, Central Eastern Europe uh, this week? Uh, Bulgaria uh, has had just uh, presidential election, second round, and there are some new developments. So what's what to expect there? Yeah, so in the presidential elections, um, as we expected, President Rumen Radev won the second mandate after getting more than 60% of the votes in the second round and uh, beating the um, GERB-backed um, uh, candidate from uh, a rector of the Sofia University, Anastas Gershikov. And uh, this was really viewed as the last chance for Boyko Borsov's party to stay relevant on the national level after losing its parliamentary elections. And uh, Currently, it's it's really a lot of Lego pieces right now. So there's 18 working groups um, that uh, are preparing a coalition government, and uh, of course, the victorious We Continue the Change Party, the new the newcomer centrist uh, party, uh, w- has already reached out to three other parties it wants to include in the government, which are Democratic Bulgaria, the Socialist Party, and of course, Slavi Trifonov's Populist. There is such a people, TISP party. And that is the update on Bulgaria, uh, as well as we also have a turbulent moment of political transition in Czechia. The, the Piotr Fialo, the designated prime minister who on Friday will also will be officially appointed, um, is also trying to muster up a government, but uh, President uh, Milos Zeman uh, has already vetoed uh, one of the candidates on the list uh, uh, speculated to be an MFA nominee from the Pirate Party, so we can expect new conflicts, new legal battles as these political negotiations proceed. And uh, an interesting remark, Wojtek, I wanted to talk to you about is um, the likely Czech Minister for Europe- European Affairs, Mikulas Beck, last week uh, stated that um, a jab at the Visegrad for calling it overrated and saying that um, his Polish and Hungarian colleagues have always asked for help in defending their ideological struggle with Brussels. But uh, Czechia really has had more of a fruitful and useful dialogue with Austrians and Germans. Uh, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, that, that is indeed a very interesting observation uh, and, uh, and a catch of, um, of a, of a um, strong statement uh, in the media. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out, uh, Malik. Uh, Czechs, uh, for a number of uh, years already, have been putting themselves in, in a distance towards the Budapest-Warsaw axis, which 
doesn't offer from their point of view any tangible results on the European uh, in the in the European Union level despite and that that is even uh, now going to be more interesting that while ODS party is in the same European Parliament fraction as PIS, PIS is actually thinking about abandoning the fraction. That's another thing if they will succeed and forming some new alliance with Viktor Orban and other pro-Russian politicians across Europe. So um, if that is happening, ODS may actually become from an ally to uh, may become a critic of the government at the same time. Uh, the the positions of, of Czechs overall in foreign policy were much more moderate. They were looking for uh, more cooperation exactly with uh, Austrians, with Germans on the, on the policies related to European Union. Um, that will be also difficult for them given that, uh, that might be difficult for them given a new government coalition coming in. Uh, Germany is going to be completely coming from completely different backgrounds. So liberal left, green, and in the Czech context, it's much more conservative, conservative, well, alternative. Um, that uh, that might not be so easy to implement, um, but uh, we will naturally, we will see how it develops and fingers crossed that, of course, that goes uh, well. But uh, at the same time, Czechs uh, want a new opening with the Polish government there uh, there were there was also a chatter over this weekend about sending the idea of sending additional troops support should Poland request it uh, from uh, Czech Republic to Poland uh, related to the border crisis and so yeah definitely um, a potentially interesting uh, developments uh, coming up there and we'll see we'll see how they play out after also Czech Republic uh, really gets a government going. And, and as you pointed out, uh, President Zeman is, uh, is just an example how it can be relayed. Absolutely. And we will be sure to stay on, on top of all these developments, including um, the, of course, the, the aftermath of Bulgarian elections, which actually we will be having a piece come in from our fellow at... Uh, here at Vesigrad Inside Alvargeni Fellow, Ognjan Georgiev, uh, will write about the methods for breaking down authoritarian regimes in Central Europe and using his very own Bulgaria as the prime example. So, And, and let me use this opportunity uh, finally also to highlight another uh, report that uh, has been uh, published uh, last week on Vesigrad Inside. This is actually open access, diverging paths of journalism in journalists in uh, Central Eastern Europe, which um, provides a lot of interesting data on uh, the actual numbers of journalists that are um, happen to rise in Hungary, and then the report speculates why that, why that is. As we know, Hungary is in other rankings the worst place for journalists overall. So uh, read the report. Very interesting uh, takeaways. From the point of view of information sovereignty, one of the topics, one of the themes that we have developed over the years, that is the uh, that is shine, shedding lights from the perspective of right to information by by the society, right to be informed, in order to have uh, control over 
uh, its own fate and uh, to have an informed public debate. So uh, this report has been um, a noteworthy read. It's a long read and also free, uh, free to read on our site. Uh, we definitely do recommend it. And Aldona Sinukaita was the main lead author on it. And the data has been gathered with the help and with support of uh, Grape uh, Institute, uh, uh, economic think tank based also in Warsaw and focusing on uh, questions of uh, economic uh, economics and, and, and labor policies. Remy, uh, recently you have uh, shared on Twitter the revelations, the passages actually from the European Commission um, uh, regulations that indicate clearly that the EU money is going to be tied uh, to um, essentially non-discrimination of uh, anyone because of their sexual preferences and identity and orientation. And that means that anti-LGBT agenda uh, of some governments like Poland uh, will be here um, really on the edge. I mean, they, they, they cannot possibly hope for release of the releasing of the EU funds unless they adhere to the, um, to the general European um, side of norms and values. Is that correct? Yes, and I think this the, the document went actually very, very far. And, and because before always what the Commission was doing is, 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 is lining and linking EU funds like the recovery fund or like smaller twinning programs between cities to, to, to minority rights, to human rights, to democracy and so on. But this is the first time that actually for a much broader uh, amount of money and funding the European Commission is, is at this moment blocking the, the entire project. So like the document was basically saying, it was a working paper saying that because of all the LGBT free zones in Poland, because of the anti the, the discrimination, the discriminatory policies by the Polish government, that's the next round of cohesion funds and the just transparency funds will also be blocked. And then we're speaking at billions and billions, tens of billions of, of euros at the moment that are, yeah, on hold by the European Commission. And again, it's not uh, the fault and the mistake, a mistake that's by the, by the European Commission. And it's not to sanction the Polish people, but it is to sanction the Polish government because the Polish government is the one who was deciding to discriminate people. Um, so, yeah, it's because of the Polish government that the people in Poland will now yeah, feel the consequences of that. Yeah, well, that uh, seems to be also not a universal, uh, universally accepted within the government such policy yet stand and they, the government hasn't refrained from them, um, which uh, for the time being blocks uh, the EU funds, I uh, would say that there are some considerable forces of centrists uh, of sort in the government and then there are forces of radicals, uh, those actually who push on the LGBT agenda. So why don't we look into the game here? Because obviously these are the forces that aim to uh, shatter the reputation of the country as it was and also to undermine uh, the prospects of um, you know further European uh, integration of Poland based also on uh, enormous uh, fantastic promises uh, 
um, of, of funding of, of our investment and cohesion policies and so on. So uh, who's driving the agenda of anti-LGBT and in whose interest it is uh, when you look in the case of Poland? Because as we said, it's not in the name of the people. Because it's not in the name of, of the people at all, because opinion polls actually in Poland are showing rather the opposite. People are becoming much more progressive if it comes to LGBTQ people. So yes, indeed, uh, something more behind, there must be something more behind all of this. And it's very clear that uh, we see that within the, the Polish government there are certain extreme radical forces um, linked to well, what we would have called them even in Poland 10 years ago cults or sects and one of them the best example maybe is, is, is the is Ordo Juris which originally um, was initiated in 2014 by people coming from the Piotr Skarga Institute an institute that has been recognized by, pre by previous Polish governments as a sect and now this um, or the Juris actually has, yeah, is, is, is inside the ministries everywhere. It's even, they are even inside the constitutional tribunal at the moment uh, in Poland. So, yeah, this is an extremely radical force. And you can indeed ask, and whose favor are they playing here? Because the Polish people are, very, are becoming more accepting um, towards LGBTQ people. Um, so, yeah, the only thing that we see happening very much at the moment is that Although people are becoming more accepting here, also the, the topic like LGBT uh, topic like LGBTQ rights or women rights is also becoming more polarized, and this polarization is of course the important part of it because who wants more polarization of the Polish society, not Polish politics, but some yeah. forces from foreign countries most probably. So you're uh, here indicating, and that was exactly my uh, next question. You're indicating that Poland is made uh, vulnerable and has made itself vulnerable. Uh, through uh, through uh, that kind of gates, let's say, that uh, allow uh, for a foreign agenda to be uh, penetrating our country uh, from outside of also EU. Uh, now, in order to understand that, and I think we'll devote uh, the rest of the interview uh, to that topic, first let's um, understand what this sect uh, is in fact uh, capable of. I mean, this is an organization that uh, today also sponsors uh, part of the Central European agenda against uh, LGBT. They are conducting trainings uh, that are essentially hate speech uh, trainings across Central Eastern Europe. And building on that uh, agenda, they have an uh, international network of support. Uh, here, uh, before we even uh, ask the question who benefits and in whose interest it is, maybe we can depict the, the context of, of, uh, of that um, a network of organization, organizational network, essentially, uh, how the Ordo Juris um, is operating uh, in Poland and Central Eastern Europe. Well, the impact of Ordo Juris is very clear, of course. I mean, there are a few examples that have been widely uh, shared in, in international media. The LGBT free, free zones in Poland, it was Ordo Juris who went from town to town and 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 and, and to and Polish to for Polish villages just to sell this um, this LGBT free zone declarations. We had the ban on abortion uh, in Poland. Also, uh, Ordo Juris, uh, represented by another ultra-conservative Catholic, Catholic activi 
activist, Kaya Godek. Um, she uh, was the one uh, getting petitions. We went to the, to the constitutional tribunal afterwards. Um, now we have and the, and the, the Polish parliament and other public uh, participation initiative by Kaya Godek called the Stop LGBT Bill, which would eventually ban pride parades, which would and and the, and the other and other words also just ban freedom of assembly in Poland. Um, well, let's put it like like it is. They have a very impactful. They were very impactful, and or the Jewish is a Polish organization, but they do not like limit themselves anymore to Poly, to the Polish border. Um, we have seen that they have been very active in Croatia. We have seen that they have been very active in Slovakia, and most and foremost. And Hungary. Hungary has recently adopted an anti-propaganda bill um, which bans any promotion of homosexuality, um, non-traditional gender identities and so on. A bill that is actually has been copy-pasted by Russia. From Russia, yeah, from Russia. That yes. that is, of course, not the the only case. But also, when you mention these countries, and we start uh, discussing the the Russia, which was the uh, elephant in the room, uh, there are cases in in the Baltics also that uh, our fellows are reporting uh, currently about, and hopefully we will be writing. Uh, our analysis soon. Uh, there is also a book publication by uh, Miłosz Hodun from the European Liberal Forum, who wrote on, uh, who, who compared uh, how the hate speech is network um, operating across Europe. And with with much of surprise, he discovered that in the Baltics, the Polish uh, organization is uh, inducing uh, that kind of um, uh, that kind of developments. Um, in, in the Baltic countries. And this is happening exactly in the area which is so sensitive to Russian um, influence. Russia is, uh, because of Russia, we have the eastern uh, eastern flank of NATO with uh, soldiers, um, multinational divisions present to secure uh, this part of Europe. And yet we have such a diverse, uh, uh, diversive uh, activity. Uh, some, some use the term psycho-op, hybrid, or whatever not this is um, this is an activity that undermines uh, the um, solidarity uh, within the societies and um, as as I uh, was asking the question who benefits and benefits exactly a potential influencer from abroad uh, namely Russia how is that linked how can we link uh, I think you you have well, the, the, well, yeah. the, the, the agent uh, the agenda of, of Kremlin and Putin's Kremlin in in the in the interview a few years ago for financial times he actually responded directly that liberalism and liberal agenda is the enemy of 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 russia and his uh, his own uh, goal is to undermine and undercut it but i mean that that seems not to be just local but it's a global it's a global thing of course and then i think what you it, it, it's right to say that's 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 what we, what you what the fellows of of, of Asgard inside also see and 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 the baltics happening a lot of the con connections between organizations such as the piotrskarga Institute and or the Juris um, and even Hungarian anti-LGBTQ organizations and politicians have been made in the Baltics um, a few years ago almost a decade, a decade ago in 2011 um, the um, the World Congress of Families which is an international conference uh, yeah basically uniting anti-woman anti-LGBTQ organizations from all around the world um, had their annual gathering in, um, in, in Estonia and we know 
know that then, for instance, the, hung, the Hungarian Minister for, hu, for Human Capacities was there uh, speaking on panels with people like Igor Beloborodov, who is an employee and the, the head of, of the demographic unit of the Russian Institute for Strategic Studies. So the, these connections between Russia on, on ultra-conservative matters go actually back already for over the decades. We know, for instance, as well, um, that was revealed by a Lithuanian journalist that was not one of the founders of uh, the Piotrskarga Institute, at some point got a finance from uh, from an organization linked to the wife of Vladimir Yakunin. Vladimir Yakunin is a former CEO of Russian Railways, one of the, the, the biggest employer of Russia, very closely linked to the Kremlin. Um, so it's it's very close. It's very important to say, to say, of course, that Russia is, is is indeed financing quite a lot of the, of these organizations, and 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 they and especially have been widely supporting them. But why? But then you need to ask the question indeed: Why is Russia doing it? And that's indeed because they want to break the liberal world order. Um, and um, yeah, the LGBTQ movement uh, has become, and over the last two or three decades, one of the most visible civil rights movements in the in, in the liberal world. So if you want to attack the liberal world, well, then of course you uh, have to directly attack the most visible part of that, and that's the LGBTQ movement. So that's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why Russia, of course, is investing so much in anti-LGBTQ and uh, ultra-conservative movements in Europe. That That is indeed uh, something that, that worries us here. And especially, I think the worrying part is how tightly it seems to be uh, connected with uh, religiosity, with the, you know, with, with the church. But uh, then after a close examining, I don't know if you'd, you'd agree, uh, often it seems that organizations like this one or the Brazilian founded, and I think the original uh, antenna of that movement globally, uh, the tradition family property has uh, has been founded already under the Cold War, I think. And when carrying out their operations, a similar style, very similar agenda, they were uh, seen and perceived by the uh, church organizations as direct competitors who would uh, take over, as not even competitors at some point, uh, enemies really of, of the church uh, because they would sell exactly no love but hate um, on the strategic level, let's say, mm-hmm. but um, uh, also that would undercut and undermine uh, church operations in terms of um, the credibility and also ability to fundraise money for good causes. So on the operational level, and that I think remains until today, the, the big challenge. Somehow we haven't been able to decouple, and at least in Poland and in the broader uh, media sphere, the question of the church from this uh, Ordo, Ordo Iuris. Why do you think, and how, is it possible even? Yeah, well, unfortunately, the, the the link between Ordo Iuris and the church is very, very close in Poland. I mean, I, rem- I remember um, one year ago that the, 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 the Polish bishops' conference was basically proposing to introduce clinics for to, to what they called uh, give sexual health back to people. That's what how they call that. Call, call them, well, I call them just conversion therapy thera- uh, clinics, which is by, by the UN declared as torture, basically. So that and that's what the, the the Polish bishops' conference is is, is, is actually calling for themselves. So um, they sometimes even don't need other juries anymore, apparently, to to to, to go really really far. Um, and but do, is it is it possible to decouple that? If, if we look to to Western Europe, I would say yes, because now in Western Europe, the Catholic Church has totally 
turn the page, I would say. Um, and Belgium, the Netherlands, and France, the Catholic Church, their national, their, their, their position on same-sex marriage, for instance, that they are in favor of it. They sent letters to the Vatican to say that they are pledging for same-sex marriage in the church. So, yes, apparently it's possible for the church to get rid of these kind of people, but yeah, we must say indeed that's, that's, that organizations such as TFP is extremely influential within, influential within the Vatican still, um, and still a lot of work has to be done to 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 get rid of them um but uh, yes and like like you were saying it's it's also important to say that it's like organizations like tfp are showing that it's not just the russians who are behind it russians are supporting it because they want to destabilize europe of course they want to attack european democracy the liberal world order but for yeah organizations such as tfp and other evangelical american organizations of course this is they are very well organized and this is already like this for 40 50 years that's really interesting Interesting, and uh, let's uh, leave it at there with a thought or a question mark. Whether, in order really to find uh, for the liberal world order, you need to uh, have a church, an official church uh, uh, across Europe or in Poland also, um, as uh, as an ally. Uh, and how can you do that? Yeah, I don't know if we need them as an ally. I mean, on the other hand, we see that uh, that's 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 the amount of people that go to churches on Sunday also in Poland is is declining year by year and it's and Poland at the moment is is, is, is one of the most is, is, is actually one of the countries where the highest number of people that are leaving the church are at the moment so I don't know if we really need them of course I would love to have as much allies in our and uh, our and our fight for a more equal and more democratic worlds but yes uh, at some point we need to say okay it's been enough and we we cannot stay uh, supporting or, or working together with an organization which is actually attacking us all the time. Yeah, well, I, I would remain here with the conclusion still that there is work to be done to seek allies and not only in Polish uh, space uh, when it comes to church and religious organizations, but also in the whole of Central Eastern Europe that these are often um, underestimated uh, uh, potential allies, but with the current set of bishops, as you pointed out, that, that wouldn't be even, not even easy, that wouldn't be possible in my opinion. So uh, things need to change and hopefully they will. Thank you very much. You're welcome.